Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. I am Jason, originally from California, and I'm living in beautiful Wuhan, China. Today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Shu. I am from China, and I'm talking to you from Beijing, China. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. And today we have a special guest, Pat Eu, who is living now in Seattle, but has homes in Seattle, Colorado, New York, formerly a CEO of a company that did video games in China, where he lived in Shanghai, Beijing, and Wuhan, and is back in the U.S. working as a CEO for a different company. Also an international gamer who has won global competitions. He's here to talk with us today about video gaming. Hello, Pat. Welcome to the show again. Welcome, Pat. Hey, Jason. Hey, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you guys today. Alex, do you like to play video games? I don't, but my boyfriend is a video game fiend. Yeah? What kind of games does he play? Oh my god, uh, pretty much everything that he could get his hands on all the time um, on different devices. We have, he plays on his PC, he plays on his Switch, his PlayStation, and my PlayStation, and his uh, <laughs> Oculus Quest yeah, he almost convinced wow. me into getting the Pico Neo just so that we could have two VR headsets at home. And I'm like, I don't want to have two VR headsets on with just the two of us in the same room. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> I said no. So, Pat, you won a global competition for video gaming, like some kind of international. What was that? Yeah, we won the Heroes of the Storm World Championship, which was a international event with 16 of the top teams from Blizzard Entertainment. That's awesome. How was that? Were you sitting in front of like a crowd of people? Yeah, I think the total number of attendees for that event is roughly 15,000. But I think oh events gosh. nowadays, like especially in China, you see anywhere from 45,000 to 80,000 on a regular basis every year. Wow. I can't imagine that. That's amazing. That's like a football game in America <laughs> where like, yeah. Less violent. Exactly. Tens of thousands of people. Well, I don't know if it's less violent. It's less actual yeah. violence, but some of the video games. So what was the name of the game that you played? A, a game called Heroes of the Storm, but I've competed in a lot of titles. Some of them probably you guys are familiar with like league of legends or starcraft ah wow so you came over to china to establish a a video game company and you lived here for quite a few years isn't that right yeah we were uh we were a video game events operations company and a consultancy for ed tech for video well games. You, we talked previously because you came on the show to talk about real estate a little bit with us before and you lived in wuhan is that correct yeah we were living uh we had an office in optics valley that's a little bit west of the city and then yeah we were planning on doing three international events throughout most uh throughout wucheng um Wucheng, Wu, I'm forgetting the other name of it, and then also Huangu. <laughs> you know, I was walking along the river one day here in Wuhan about a month ago, and this is not 15,000 people, but I, I there's this area you hang out where these <laughs> grannies dance. It's like a place where damas dance. But on the, and they had been usurped because usually there's like 2,000 grannies dancing in this one super granny dancing spot. But like they were all like frustrated and kind of pushed to the perimeter because there was this huge video gaming like session on the river right there where like all these like really young kids they were like 16 17 year old like 
kids playing video games on this huge mega screen. And there was like a few thousand people, just maybe two or three thousand people sitting there watching them and ooing and aahing at like I what I I didn't even know what the video game was, honestly. But the grannies were a little put out. <laughs> Got right. in the way of physical exercise. <laughs> Damas are not happy. They're exercising their thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> that counts. So, uh, Pat, what are you doing right now in the States? Um, right now I'm working on a fan loyalty platform, kind of like a Marriott Rewards card system for the metaverse. And so it's going to be, uh, you can think of it like this way. You complete a lot of challenges. You go and check out other people's portals, maybe test out some of their platforms and you get rewarded with um, with items in the metaverse. It could be anything from a pair of shoes to a t-shirt. It can even bring you in through the rabbit hole into a real life event. So you might get like a golden ticket prize experience going to Disneyland or something like that. Wow. Oh, that's so you get you hang out in meta and like what do you do in, in the meta universe while you're like being a loyal fan? I don't know. Yeah. I don't really understand. The, the metaverse is a, it's a, it's a tricky topic, but I, I want to it's <laughs> easy enough to say that Every single person in the world right now, as long as you have a cell phone, you're probably somewhere in the metaverse already. Mm. It could be through like a pseudonymous account on a social media platform. It could be through your YouTube account or your like your doing account number. Mm. But I think what we'll see in the short term, we're seeing VR get a lot more popular over yes. the Christmas season. The, yes. the Oculus, yeah, the Quest was actually one of the hottest selling electronics of the winter season. Um you're going to see it come in short different spurts. You're going to see it in AR. So like if you guys open Taobao and you guys want to look at furniture, if you notice, you can use your camera functionality to actually with place like a virtual piece of furniture in, yeah, onto your screen. Oh, this function is on Taobao already. We tried to use the IKEA one, but we couldn't download the right app. You have to. I didn't know that Taobao. It's based on certain um, specific manufacturers. So if you see a couple of their the actual storefronts, you'll see that you have that option available. I see. How much does a sofa cost in the, in the VR metaverse? <laughs> <laughs> well, a sofa from IKEA through their AR metaverse would be the same cost as a real IKEA uh, piece of furniture. But like, really, a one by one plot of land in some of these metaverse platforms already, uh, they can go for anywhere from twenty to forty thousand wow. US dollars. Oh my God. A three by three plot of land going up wow. to half a million. That's now. amazing. Well, I gotta, we gotta get in on this early, Jason. Well, I'm just thinking, Pat. Um, like, is there like a cheap place, like suburbs of the metaverse that I could get? In? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that you're probably a little bit too early to be hedging your bets on digital real estate now but as we see more and more large companies companies like tencent companies like facebook releasing their metaverse platforms i think at that point you might want to look at a small little plot of land in an area that you like around the world wow, wow. that is amazing so wait i could have an address in another country and not actually have to physically be there yeah i mean you could be in a different universe you could be you could buy planet jason for maybe a hundred thousand dollars and other people could buy plots of land on your planet and then build on top of your planet wait a minute did you say Planet Jason? Planet Jason. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I'm so... This is, only 100,000, huh? Okay. I, I'm going to have my own planet, Alex. Oh my gosh. You're, you're, Jason, you've reached your life goal and it's not that hard. Oh my gosh. I always thought I have to wait for Elon to, you know, f figure out a few planets before I got my own. But now I could just get one on the, in the metaverse. No, so I wanted to really quickly... We'll come back to meta because I think it's a really huge topic. But um, I wanted to ask you, what are the some of the most popular video games that people... Like kids, I guess. I, I don't know. It, it, firstly, is it mostly kids playing or like who's playing video games today yeah i mean i think even around you in china you'll notice this is that video games is kind of a for all ages experience for anybody now it could be anything from these simple farming simulators or like bejeweled or like a tetris on your phone to complex games like league of legends and king of glory which have 
hundreds of millions of users every single year. I think nowadays the average demographic is roughly probably like 12 to 28 is like the most active player mm, base, but mm. then that 28 to 35 and 28 to 42 afterwards, yep. they're also really just, they're popular demographics and more and more people are still playing video games into childbirth. people think of video games as a waste of time. A lot of people think of video games as something that you do when you're not doing something. And I know <laughs> my wife would rather that I do anything else. She's one of those people that really like checks on me when I'm at home. We're both at home. You know, she has her office and I have my office. And she comes into my office to make sure that I'm up to good, that I'm using my time. Now, she's okay with me watching a movie. She's like, yeah, you should watch a movie. That's great. But then that movie's over. If I will start to watch another movie she's all that all you're gonna do you're just gonna watch movies all day and so she's like really like uh you know critical i would say not critical but she wants to make sure that i use my time wisely i have to say i've learned a lot from my wife and she really helps me you know focus in on actually getting a lot accomplished and i've a lot i've actually accomplished a lot more together with my wife than i would have without her Be before her i definitely didn't get as much done i always thought okay i'm gonna write a book oh but now i'm actually you know writing one of my i'm sending several books books deep. And I used to think, oh, okay, I'll write a start a blog. You know, I'm actually, I have a blog and I've had a blog for years and it's a lot of it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, so like a video games for me, it's like, I like video games and occasionally I'll play a video game and I actually have some tricks to play video games. So one of my tricks is this. So like, I'll actually start to write a book or start to write a blog post and get like halfway finished or most of the way finished, or even actually I'll finish and I'm just waiting to post. And then my wife is in her office and I'll start playing a video game. And then she'll come in, I'll just click Alt-Tab. And she'll look at the computer and she's like, oh, you're still writing your blog. Good job. You've made it a little further than you did last time. But, you know, I'll switch over and I'll be playing. A I don't play video games. Honestly, I'm, I actually do want to get into playing video games, but I don't actually play a lot of video games <laughs> right now. In a month, I probably spend... I don't know, on average, one or two hours playing video games. But, you know, video games are one of those rare things. And that's why I wanted to invite Pat on the bridge today. That's why I wanted to talk about this, because we are a show called The Bridge. And this is about bridging cultures across the Pacific, around the world, yeah. showing us how we're all the same and how we're all common. Exactly. And, you know, this is really interesting. Video games are one of those rare commonalities where people are literally on a quest. And, you know, they're on a quest together people from different countries or from the same countries, yeah. whether they're on opposing teams or the same teams, they're united in their love of this particular fantasy world, of this particular idea, of this particular uh, ideology or like landscape or universe. And like, this is something people can get together. You're, yeah. you know, you have a Chinese person and they're in San Francisco hanging out with some buddies or you have some friend from New York and they're hanging out in Beijing and like they're sitting in a bar. Suddenly, you know, World of Warcraft comes up. Everyone's like, yes, I play that. Oh, do you, what character do you like? You know, what, what, what aspect of that video game do you like? And this is something that really helps people come together. This is, this is a brick in the bridge mm. that is literally a bridge for people around the world. Video games serve the function of bridging culture, of bri bridging interests. In the same way that some movies or some music does, video games are like that. It's a cultural facet that people can unify around from all the world. Someone from Sweden or someone from like Denmark, someone from India can actually just be unified around the same experience of playing a game together. 
And literally, they can play a game together in another universe, in on the internet, on the web. In the 21st century, we are connected by the music and the fantasy worlds that we share and embrace in books, literature, video games, and other mediums. And that is why I think video games are going to be such an interesting topic for us to discuss here today. You know, I have a lot of friends my age who are like, you know, mid midlife <laughs> uh, gentlemen, and they they go to they go to bars in Beijing and they play video games in the bar. So I used to go to a bar, but you, my my point was like to hang out with people, to drink and talk. But these gentlemen are going to, and ladies are going to uh, bars where they they buy beers and then they go play video games. And so this is like a whole new thing. Oh, that's the new ones, right? Oh, well, I'm sorry, what? That's those are the new ones. So those are you're not talking about the internet cafes. You're talking about the actual video game bars. Bar, yeah. Well, th there was there's a place in the Hutongs that on like Tuesday night you go to the third floor and like it's just like all video games. People bring in their own PCs in the daytime. Oh, uh, it's the fighting game competition. Yeah, that it's all the people bring in their own fight sticks. They're customized like pieces of hardware that are suited to their own hands and the way that they like to play. And they all get together and compete inside a single room. Well, it sounds Maybe. like you've already been there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I explored a little bit while I was in Beijing. Yeah. So you lived in Wuhan really quickly. You lived in Wuhan and uh, Shanghai and in Beijing. Where did you like living the most? Um, uh -oh. Personal life wise, I, I, I really enjoyed <laughs> Shanghai and Beijing. I think Wuhan was awesome if I was a little bit older in my life and wasn't, uh, and I wasn't as like, didn't have as mm -hmm. fast of a lifestyle, but I think Shanghai was probably the best experience mm -hmm. for a foreigner at least. Yeah, it does seem like there are a lot more foreigners living in Shanghai than other cities in, in China. I think it's mostly just access to day-to-day to -day, like needs, like being able to buy like potato chips or like a roast <laughs> chicken was a lot easier to do in Shanghai than Beijing. Um, but it could just have been the area that I was living in compared to Beijing. We lived in the same area in China. Right, is there a difference between the games that are played in the States versus the games that are played in China? Or are they basically everyone playing the same game? Yeah, I think it's actually, it's not just the States and China. It's actually kind of like a like Western society versus like uh, developing nations. So mm -hmm. if, if a country had had the access of like a personal computer during like the early 2000s, along with like the like the economic power in the country to be able to afford Game Boys, then you see consoles a lot more relevant. So in Europe and in North America, we see the, the Xbox and the PlayStation still doing pretty well. Mm. But in countries like China, where they kind of skipped that entire generation, it was mostly internet cafes. People didn't own their own mm. personal computers. Yeah. They went directly to the mobile generation. And so you're seeing a lot more people interested in AR, VR and mobile experiences in Asia. And then people more so into PC and console wow. in the West. So Alex, you mentioned your boyfriend plays your gaming system. Which one did you have? I had a PlayStation 4, but it wasn't because I was a huge game hit. It was because my friend was moving, was leaving the country. And so they just sold me their, according to my boyfriend, it's a PlayStation 4 uh, uh, Pro, whatever, the slimmer version for 300 quai. And I just inherited basically, you know, for free. And he, he would play on mine, he would play on his own. And the thing is, I never, when I was living in the U.S., most of my friends, like Pat just mentioned, they play on a gaming console and they're like, oh, let's just play this game is really simple. And it would be like, you know, Tekken or, or Mortal Kombat or all of these like basically button, like button mashing games that you could just go crazy and not know any tricks. And it's it's still not that easy for me.
China is kind of the leader of mobile gaming already. They have some of the largest game studios. They have MiHoYo, which produces expansive 3D RPGs. They have Tencent Games, which makes most of the most popular titles around the world. And every other Chinese company is acquiring more and more game studios. They, they control at least 60% of the market right now. Wow. So you mean around the world, people using video games on... Yeah, the, the, the most popular game in India right now is PUBG. The, the most popular game globally is League of Legends, and they're both owned by Tencent. Wow, I didn't know that. Oh, A lot wow. of people don't know Amazing. that. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know that there's about, I was reading some random numbers in the news and it was saying like the amount of market here in China is about like the market is about hundreds of billions of dollars size. You know, I always just had this bias in my head that I thought all video games, like the bulk of video games came out of Japan for some reason. Like, I guess that's because I had an Atari as a child or something. I was <laughs> I was just thinking, oh yeah, Japan, they had really controlled the market on video games. But you're saying that China controls 60%. I, I think that's also growing up in America when, yeah, when all you see are Japanese. Uh, Japanese consoles uh, like that, that that was the entirety of the 80s and so 90s 60 percent of the the market uh share for video gaming is controlled in china for mobile gaming for mobile yeah. gaming wow wow okay so and it's mostly just because tencent has a great acquisition strategy they've done really well just acquiring minority stakes and full buyouts of some of the best game studios mm. around the world and that's like that's their strategy they just acquire everybody who's awesome in terms of like having like um really large stadiums full of like people cheering and whatnot like i i know very little about this like uh is this popular in countries like around the world europe and north america canada like yeah I've, we've had an, like we had an event that was for staples center if you're familiar with that um, yeah yeah, yeah. out in a minute and 12 seconds and those retail price were i think 130 us dollars a ticket wow so you're seeing this this happen all around the world and so that's i want you to think of it this way the same way where like maybe the, the like the last generation I, I what we call the boomers now right mm. they would pay for tickets to go watch the to watch basketball to watch american football mm. to watch soccer and like they would be paid, they would pay a large sum of money, anywhere from sixty to two hundred dollars for their seats for a regular mm-hmm. game, right? The same people nowadays, like we, like the people, the generation that's grown up playing video games, like there is a competitive aspect to gaming. There are local teams like relevant to cities like Shanghai and to Wuhan mm-hmm. in America. We we have franchise slots across twelve to sixteen different cities around the U.S. already now too. So there's a lot of that hometown spirit. You you get a kind of experience that same. That same like uh, enjoyment of watching like someone compete against each other that you do from a traditional sport, but in a digital realm. It's also like now that we have like like electronics, like everybody has their phone, they have their computer, they're almost always connected digitally to their friends. So it's a lot of like it's a good experience to be able to meet some of the people that you converse with online for the first time at a large event and kind of like like morale together for that you went to sweden a couple of times to do business with there and, and so I, i'm assuming that video gaming is also huge in, in northern yeah um well sweden specifically we were we were acquiring the ip of an event called dreamhack it's actually the largest digital festival in the world it holds the guinness record for most computers connected in in the same spot so that ip started off in the 90s in sweden and it's a it's a city that's actually very similarly climate to where i'm from seattle where it's rainy and kind of muggy almost like half of the year. And so because of that, more people are staying indoors. And, you know, computer gaming was one of those hobbies that you could do during the rain season. You know, I'm really I guess it's because I'm middle aged or maybe it's just a generational thing. But I have a hard time understanding still like the the uh, video gaming. I was wondering if you could tell me a personal anecdote about being either in a competition or like maybe, you know, in a management uh, capacity at one of these uh, gaming uh, festivals that could help maybe tell the story of what it's like to be in something and in, in, at an event like this. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that like these people aren't just playing video games like this is the, the this yeah. is their livelihood these people decided to either drop out of like their education a lot of these gamers are anywhere from 18 to 22 years old so they're therefore going mm. to college education to be a professional gamer mm. 
they're they have a base salary which you know when i was a professional gamer the base salary is only thirty five thousand us dollars it was less than a, a job you could get like out of college and so it wasn't a very lucrative position but nowadays you have you have people who are under 25 years old making seven figures of money on base salary wow the, I, I just saw a player with eight million us dollars a year in just sponsorship dollars for his personal brand <laughs> And so these you, you have the opportunity to become a mega celebrity, especially in countries like China, where gaming has shot above and beyond. Like Honor of Kings has better viewership than basketball from the CBA in China. <laughs> and so these people aren't just like they're not just gamers. Like these are celebrities. These are people who have the attention of millions and millions, tens of millions of fans like the. Yeah, they're they're just as popular as your your favorite actors and yeah. actresses. That's and amazing. Jason, did you I I I know that Pat definitely knows this, but Jason, did you see your Chinese friends posting this news around I think early December last year? Everybody was saying EDG, EDG, and this is a moment of tears and years of hard work. We finally won this whatever championship. And all of these people in my friend circle that I didn't know that was a huge, you know, video game hit or, or video game fan even just started posting about this. And it was something like like a very memorable moment for uh Chinese, you know, a video gaming industry or, or these people who who do, you know, who are pro uh, almost can we use the word athletes for, you know, video gamers? I don't know if you saw that. I didn't. <laughs> there they were you could see videos on TikTok of pe- like just college dormitories, people were throwing papers out of their windows yeah. and just yelling at, at in the middle and of crying. the night wow. and crying. I guess I'm completely disconnected from this. And it is. Uh, the EDG story is great, though, because they, this is the first time they've won a world championship. And China in general, they they, they compete they, for the past four years. They've been competing head to head with Korea, but EDG has just never been able to make yeah. it. And so clinching a 3-2 finals in, in the very last match of the year, like it, it was just amazing for the country. Wow. So wait, where is EDG located out of? Um, they're located or in China. I'm not sure specifically their franchise location, but it, it it's somewhere in the north, I do believe. So this Chinese team won a very prestigious international gaming award. And so like this was a global, globally celebrated event amongst gamers. It's uh, it's I mean, they won the championship of the biggest game in the world. Wow. So wait, what is the biggest game of the world? Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. It's it's still it's still League of Legends and it has been for the past <laughs> seven years. So League of Legends is the Super Bowl of video gaming. Yeah. So if you, if you want to think of if, are you guys familiar with Honor of Kings or Wands of Rong Yao? I've heard. I've yes, heard I've, I've heard of it. Never played it. Yeah. So that's the that's in China. That's the most popular game. You like when it first came out and when I first moved to China in 2017, like anywhere from doctors to lawyers to to train operators like you would see everybody during their breaks playing that game. So that's actually like kind of the child, uh, the child of League of Legends. They they've copied a lot of the map mechanics and it's coming from the same parent company, right? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Tencent was able to release a mobile version and now Wild Rift from League of Legends is out too. But it's just a couple of years too late um, to compete wow. with Honor of Kings. Yeah, it has developed a whole language system as well. I hear all not just kids. I hear you know sometimes celebrities on TV shows or, or just interviews just kind of referring to this you know whole wording of this game and it, people are like yes that's funny or oh I know what, what she's talking about. I'm just like I I. I don't know how how bad Patrick how bad it is if Jason and I just stay well, off of these games. So you can think of it this way. So like the kind of going into like these mainstream celebrities, like the reason are why people are going to Honor of Kings events. I went to an event, a Spring Finals in Shanghai at the Mercedes Benz Stadium, and they had Jay Chow. They had uh, they no had, way. They had Jay Chow. They had um, TF Boys, and then they also had. Uh, 
at the time it was the these four celeb these four male actors out of a show called Boys Over Flowers, and that was the halftime premiere. And they also did like a celebrity show match in the in the halftime. And oh my god! So that's how they're selling tickets. Uh, these tickets, some of these tickets are going for two thousand four hundred, two thousand eight hundred RMB a, a, a slot. Wow! So it's like these people are saving a lot of their their income to actually be able to attend these. Events. So the events are they're not always just gaming. They have a lot of other aspects to them too. Yeah, they it's yeah it's like going to watch the Super Bowl mm. every single <laughs> major event, but you get to do it every yeah. quarter. Well, that's amazing. I'll do it for times a year i have that money no i don't <laughs> do it so can you get tf boys up there playing video games though <laughs> you, you can and it, it's been done before it's just <laughs> oh wow oh wow I, I guarantee you that most celebrities are playing video games on the side mm, that's that's really rather amazing I guess, you know, actually, I'm really interested. I, I, you know, I've known you for quite a long time, Pat, a few years, but I, I actually, until this conversation, I was just like, oh, that's your thing. But now <laughs> I'm actually really thinking about getting into some video games now. Well, I would say, like, I, I, I've changed the games that I've played. So I, I started off in, in two genres called real-time strategy. If you guys are familiar with titles like Age of Empires or Warcraft, kind of titles that were popular in the early 2000s, that genre has kind of lost its uh, popularity with, with, uh, with Gen Z. And I played MOBAs, which are games like Honor of Kings. My problem is like when you hit your 30s, your, your fingers get a lot slower. Your reaction time gets a lot slower. Mm-hmm. So like personally, I, I really like this genre <laughs> called card games. Like I, I like playing trading card games nowadays. Your vision gets worse. Well, maybe I could play like a Zelda where it's mostly just like yes. roaming around, exploring and the Nintendo figuring Switch out puzzles is an awesome, and stuff. It's an awesome console. It's, it's for all ages, whether you're 40 years old, 70 years old, or even 10 years old. It has great titles for every age group. It sounds like you could work for them, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> you're selling their product. Pokemon's done a lot for me throughout my entire childhood. I appreciate Nintendo a lot. I know. Is there one center, like, a you know, you mentioned a lot of places around the world in terms of like, is there one central node or country or continent that's like leading the way in gaming? It depends on what area of gaming that you're saying but i would say like definitely north america mm-hmm. is uh it's the largest amount of dollars coming into professional esports with franchise leagues and you see a lot of buy-in from mainstream investors mm-hmm. um in asia i would say you definitely have um you have shanghai which is kind of like and, and seoul which are the two major epicenters of esports and yeah. for, for the asian region but like you're also seeing singapore and malaysia and the philippines popping up recently and i could see them doing a lot of growth in the next couple of years um europe wise you have it's the uk germany and sweden for the most part but um they yeah all of europe is doing really really well they have a lot of players it's just there's just not as many as many investment dollars for to kind of grow that the professional side of it because there are like underwater sea cables connecting different continents and things is that, so can north americans play with people in asia or in europe and like uh that there's a little lag time yeah. or do you have to play with people near relatively near you so yeah uh, there's normally a centralized there's centralized servers uh china is a lot different so china actually has multiple servers there's so many players in china that they actually have nodes in almost all of the major cities and so wow like in america we have the north american server in china you have like 44 servers for league of legends or something like that and each one has a larger player base than all of North America. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, so underwater cables, unfortunately, not possible. when you So the latency that you need for, for some of the most competitive titles, like League of Legends, like they actually bring in their own server for a closed server just so they have the, the lowest latency possible. But I'm looking for 0 to 5 MS when I'm playing like at a professional setting. We've done auto battlers. You could play games like chess or like like card games, stuff like that you could definitely do. We've done China versus America during the beginning of COVID and that was done fine, but it's just anything that requires fast reflexes, any shooter game, any MOBA, any anything like uh, any mm. traditional sport, like a FIFA, 
or a basketball title, like none of those would be possible at a professional level across continent. You know, a lot of language comes out of Reddit, I've noticed, and like other internet platforms. I know that people who are playing video games have their kind of their own language. Like, or what are some of the kinds of phrases that young people are using now in video gaming? <laughs> um, <laughs> I know past ready. Yeah, I'm actually, I, I would say that I'm someone who doesn't try to use as much video game language, but like right now, I, I think like pog is still popular. Have you guys heard that term? Pog or pogo? No. No. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's really hard to explain, but it's like when someone does something good or does something bad, it's just like, uh, it, it's just a universal expression. It's kind of like, you can say the words like 666 or Leo Leo yeah, Leo in China, and yeah. it can mean almost anything you want. Like in gamer uh, speak, like pogo is kind of popular. We've gone. Yeah. So if someone does something cool, you say pogo. Yeah, you can say pogo or like even like when someone like, like gamers on Twitch right now, which is the most popular broadcasting, instead of saying I'm sad, they say Sag with a D. And it's like a it's a it's a doge uh, emoji with like just a sad doge emoji. Oh, uh, wow. You mean like doge the, the do- coin, the cryptocurrency? Yeah, like the cryptocurrency doge that's like making a pouting face <laughs> has become like a text meme called Sag on, on the Internet now for gamers. Wow, so that that means expresses what dissatisfaction or sadness or something? <laughs> expresses sadness. Yeah, with a pu- with a cute little puppy. It's like a sad badge. <laughs> so it's sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, you know, you mentioned people dropping out and getting seven figures for video gaming, and it's it's just like a lot like basketball or football or whatever. But you mentioned before that there are some university programs for people going into esports, like you mentioned UCI and UC Berkeley before. So what are some of the kinds of university programs people can get involved in in order to get into esports? Yeah, so I, I want you to think of like, like, like video game in the college level, the same way that you would consider NCAA sporting or like, you know, competing in like any other sport. Mm. And so essentially, you have scholarship students who are competing inside of a league against other universities. And it's building the same skills. You're, you're not only competing at the highest level in a in a in a game, right? You, it is a competitive title. But you're also building you're you're building community effects. So like you you have a lot, especially gamers, they're a little bit more introverted than your traditional athletes, and so it helps it helps them a lot to be able to feel like they can still do a team sport even if they're like introverted and they don't have these social skills to be able to do football or basketball or they might have not have the athletic ability. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of benefits for universities, and also I think a, a big statistic that was the reason why uh, so many colleges started looking at gaming was that on average gamers they graduate they actually uh, they graduate at a higher percentage chance they're looking at stem degrees and they're actually more likely to donate back mm-hmm. into an alumni fund and so from a recruitment perspective it actually makes a lot of sense <laughs> to look at gamers because it's a demographic that you know is going to be a average return wow so if you're a university like administrator you're thinking oh we need this program because we need a new wing for the library yeah and also, like, it's, it's interesting, like, like a school like Arizona State University, which in general, you you never think of them as like someone who's going to be going after gaming first. They actually won an ESPN title for one of the video games back when I was in university. And as a result of that, they built a full program out of it. And they paraded those students around the school like rock stars as if they'd won like an NCAA championship. Oh, wow. wow. This is blowing my mind. Like, you know, the things that I have just overlooked for, I guess, decades, you know. You know, for people, for people like, well, probably not even my age, people that are a, a little bit older who are in their mid 30s. When they were kids, when video game first became a thing, it was probably like super not prohibited but their parents would be like why are you doing this wasting your time and then when they didn't kind of 
you know, follow their parents' order and didn't quote unquote waste time on video games. Now it's like one of the best paid industries, best paid jobs in the world. And they're looking this probably thinking, I just, I wish I was born 15 years later, you know? You know, that's almost exactly right in my family, except it was the op- a little bit of the opposite. We got the video game systems and it was like, dad, when's my turn? Dad, dad, I want to play. <laughs> and he was like, no, no, no I'm playing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Video games were a reward system for me. And so like it actually, because of video games, I did really well academically because I got it rewarded in game card. Well, uh, so your mom's like, oh, you got an A on that math test. Here's your new video game. <laughs> yeah, here's the next that's Pokemon awesome. game. Great. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about meta if we have, if we could squeeze it in. So you're, you mentioned, I, I always thought it was all VR. I thought that's what meta meant was VR, but you're actually saying meta is not just VR. That's just the newer iteration of what meta is. So what are some of the kinds of things that the term meta incorporates? Yeah. So I think what the meta, like to simplify what meta is, it's a, it's a third space. If you're familiar with that term. So a place that you're not spending either your regular, your regular life or your working life in. So it's the place that you kind of escape to. It's any platform that does that for you. So it could be anything like it could be Clubhouse on a pseudonym. It could be like Twitter Spaces. It could be going into Roblox and Minecraft, some of the the titles that are really popular with children. But essentially, you're joining a social platform with other people around the world that you, you know, you can be anonymous if you want to. And you're just expressing yourself through a digital identity. You know, I know that you like to go hiking and that you enjoy some like outdoor activities, too. But you also seem to have this very like big anchor in like the digital world. So how do you find a, a, a good balance between, you know, like getting out into the real world and going to this third space? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I will say that the metaverse becomes more and more enticing, the the less of a social life that you have, because you're using the metaverse <laughs> to help you build those social connections with other people, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people around the world who, who looked at gaming as a, either an escape or to make friends because they're dealing with tough things in their regular lives. And so Mm. a lot of it comes down to escapism. And that's probably like the major reason as to why the metaverse has been shaping. But you can also take a look at the positive side. Like there are people who might not be interested in a topic. Like uh, let's say someone's not interested in like hot rods or like, you know, like like American muscle cars in, in Japan. But because this person's able to join VR chat through his Oculus Quest headset, he can find a group of Americans and talk with Evan VR about his favorite hobby. Mm. And so there's a lot of positives that you can see from that mm. coming out. You know, I, I understand a lot of it's going to be like the real world layered onto digital world. So I could have like a pair of glasses on or like some kind of headset. We walking around in the real world and see the real world, but I'll see like digital information superimposed onto the real world. So theoretically, you could go hiking and have also see, I don't know, like Pokemon or something. Yes. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Um, very, very likely. And very likely this year, you'll see some of that new technology happening. Like AR is, it's advancing every single year, but yeah. AR VR hybrid. Uh, last year was the the end of the cycle for the next round of development for titles. And so you're going to see a lot of AAA titles that have been development for three to five years now entering the market in, in probably spring of this year. So what are some of the huge companies that are like moving into this market right now or, or that are already there? Yeah. I mean, Tencent's already there, Alibaba's already there, Facebook's already there, Microsoft's already there through their acquisition of Minecraft. Um, I would say every single major company's already there. Even um, uh, Nike, like a like a, a company that builds uh, that makes shoes and, a, and and sports apparel, they actually just acquired the most popular. Uh, digital shoe company in the world artifact and they're part of the nike brand now a digital shoe company adidas is doing the same thing where adidas is partnering with this new ip that's really popular called board yacht club where a single one of those digital avatars is now worth a quarter million oh my dollars 
so you're seeing like you're seeing like you're seeing designer brands like anything from Dior and, and Louis Vuitton looking at the metaverse and Adidas and Nike have already joined the metaverse with their own products and even like you're seeing music artists, you're, you're seeing people like Yao Ming, who's using the metaverse to help out with his charity through wine sales. What? And it's going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, he he actually he raised, I think, one hundred and seventy thousand dollars through through uh, through digitizing his wine. And you were able to use that digital product to redeem a limited edition bottle of like a soft blanc or something like that i feel a like re- a real bottle oh my god <laughs> a real bottle of wine yeah so you can either hold the digital one which like showed you kind of like this i don't know if you guys have been in Hema or uh like alibaba's uh like whole foods equivalent essentially but they actually have a couple of meat products there where you can qr can uh, code scan and that through that like that's actually through blockchain technology and you can see the lifespan like when the the cow was slaughtered like where oh. it traveled <laughs> to for processing and everything about well, it. that's amazing I mean that I didn't know. I just never tried it. I'd never really. Cared you you about you are that. going to be cooking Bessie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Bessie's best friend was Tom. <laughs> That's so. But it's a it's a little daunting at first, right? But I think that um, as as we like look to quality control, mm. right? I, I think what a, a lot of people care are caring more about is transparency. They want to know where where their food is sourced from. They want to know who handled the food and whether it was humane. I think that like that's like what we're going to see uh, through the metaverse also just a lot more transparency. Wow. You're not going to be able to hide like, you know, like in the in a remote forest if you want to without electricity. Like if you're not part of the metaverse, you're pretty much losing half of your identity around. Um, Alex, you work for a giant, uh, you know, <laughs> digital company like in here in China. And what what are, is, is your uh, company taking this direction, going with meta and like developing VR? I mean, I'm not, you know, disclosing the name, but but, uh, but we see. definitely yeah, yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like everybody's moving in this direction. Yes, That's the new I, direction. I'm pretty sure there's going to be some big moves coming from my company very soon, but I just can't say I'll be, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. I understand. Well, I, I read about a different company. I think, what are they called? Baidu, right? Yeah. And they're also, they. I, I saw an article on the People's Daily and they were already featuring some of their like meta technology where you can have like a meeting with your little digital avatar. So instead of zooming, you walk in with a digital avatar. All the little digital avatars sit down in like a, a living room scenario. Scene, like oh, I scene. saw that video too. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they hang out. Have, have y'all actually attended a digital conference yet? I actually attended two the last in 2021. Just Zoom or stuff like that, or I guess Lark. But I... so they have these things. It's just virtual like comp, like like convention centers, and you use WASD or your arrow keys on your keyboard to move around, and you can you just left click and right click to join and and to join different speakers rooms and private one on one chats. It's actually a pretty good experience. Do you get to make your own avatar, or do you have to use like one of the existing avatars? Um, it's pre generated, and so that's like kind of like what you're you're seeing like Facebook and these larger companies who are going into the meta as they yeah. They want to create platforms that do everything, right? So if you want to do your meeting, you want to do, you know, like like movie night with your friends, all that's in one platform. And then when you have a conglomerate of features like that, then you can release a marketplace. And that's like kind of where I believe that Facebook's looking at. They want to make digital merchandising. Oh so like t-shirts and, and shoes and stuff. Wait, so I, I, wait, wait. I'm, I'm a little confused. So movie night. And so what I, I'm looking at a screen and I'm using my mouse or whatever, or like arrow keys to click and move my avatar around. <laughs> and then we sit down and watch a movie. Then... <laughs> Does, is, does the movie take the whole screen and or do you like yes, click? Yeah. So think of it this way, right? So like maybe like. Are we, like I'm looking at my friend's avatar, like sitting in front of me, like get your avatar's foot out of my way. Jason, Jason has so many questions. When the two of us, <laughs> when the two of us used to like live in Beijing, we used to go to your place and have some yeah, beers yeah, yeah, and yeah. watch movies yeah. together in person, right? But COVID kind of became the, the turn for that. I ended up moving across the world. So. Yeah, we could put on our Oculus headsets. You have your snacks. I have my snacks. I have a beer oh, wow. and you have a beer. and We can do a virtual cheers. 
and watch the same movie in the same headset. Oh. So we're we're still seeing each other. It's so just it's, the, the digital representation. So you might be a raccoon. Yeah, I might be a shark and you might be a raccoon, Jason. We, you never know. It's just not your face. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, well, during during COVID last year, my boyfriend tried. He wanted me to try, but I was like, "That's too eerie for me. I'm not gonna do it." He tried the the the, the Oculus uh, movie cinema, and it's open to you know, it's not just with your friends. It's whoever that walks into that screening room walks into that movie theater, they could sit down next to you. And he was like, it "Was very odd. I was watching this." like you know like imax screen in my vr headset and this person just came over and sat down next to me and started talking to me i was like you're talking about this as if this is happening in real life he's like well it's pretty much like it kind of is life. yeah i couldn't try it you know a very very long time ago there was a, a company called uh second life and i understand it's still around are they like a still a big player or they're well they're not like they're not a player anymore and actually it's funny i've actually met a couple people who used to build in-app like features for second life so i was too young for that game personally but they were one of the first metaverse companies like they they literally let you have a second life in, wow. in the game I, and all we need is elon musk's Neuralink company and then we can just be a raccoon in in the meta universe no. forever <laughs> you can do it today if there, there's platforms like sandbox and the centraland and crypto voxels where all you need to do is use your your email and password and you can pop in and be that raccoon today if you want to and you'll see hundreds of other players in no what i mean is in order when your body passes away you could con- stay being that raccoon and meta the next forever (laughs) we're entering the little bit the altered carbon (laughs) sci-fi area didn't facebook just release something saying that you know after if you you've moved on to you know you passed away whatever people could inherit your 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 social media assets yeah I always thought that was just so they yeah, could... Yeah, it's, it's community property rights in the U.S. I actually just signed off the rights to a lot of my digital assets uh, through an 83B filing um, for my wife. Wow. That's so. That's something that's so advanced. I'm like... It, it's crazy, right? To think that like a skin... like there, I have a I have a sniper rifle skin for a game called Counter-Strike that's worth like $10,000 that I got gifted oh to me. Oh my and, god. Like... Do you like even like what I was talking about? So Adidas's partnership with a with an IP called Board Ape, there's only 10,000 of them in the entire world. Like celebrities like Snoop Dogg and Steph Curry, like some of the most prominent people in the world. Like the price, if you want to be that ape in the metaverse is $250,000 for you to get in. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I understand a lot of the NFTs now are going to be like in your meta living room spinning or whatever, like on the wall as like pieces of art that when people come to your domicile, they'll see that you own it in that you're like meta, I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, like, I have a, a couple of, um, what are they called, electric frames. And so what they do is they connect to my wall address and they actually showcase some of my digital assets on, on the wall. But um, you're going to see more and more that like, like very soon, you're going to see people appreciating digital art more, especially as the hardware gets better. Like if you said this 10 years ago, if you wanted something this like, like that type of technology, you'd probably pay $1,000 for it. But nowadays you can get a a three by six frame for under $400 to display your assets. It's a lot more affordable now wow. too. So are there differences in like, because you mentioned a lot of companies that are exist in China and that exist in the U S and other places are so 
something that's made in the United States that can be used in Europe or something that's made in China can be can be used in, in you know, I don't know, the Middle East or whatever, Saudi Arabia. Right. So all the kind of technology are accessible globally. These all these platforms. Is there any like two or three platforms that are sticking out more than any of the others? Um, I think in terms of consumer today, like I, if you're talking metaverse, I would definitely say Roblox is one of the winners right now. Like you, the three of us, we probably don't play Roblox, but ask anybody who's under the age of 16 if they've played Minecraft or Roblox. And mm. like even my nephew, my nephew is 18 years old. And two years ago, <laughs> he asked me for a Gucci t-shirt inside of the inside of Roblox instead of a Gucci t-shirt in, in person. Wow. He wanted that asset as a digital thing inside of his game. I'm a little confused. So like, because, okay, they're, they're different companies with different assets. And like, if you are in one meta platform, you can't like necessarily talk to someone in a different meta platform that's run by like a different company. No, but you could connect to that other meta platform. And so that's the one thing is that we are in the wild west, right? We're, we're in what I like to call the dot-com boom of like of uh, the next generation of internet use. Bad mm. omen. And so like, <laughs> just like the dot-com boom, we have hundreds of companies who all seem to be doing well now. But there's only really room in the market for, let's say, 10 or 20 of these metaverses. And so we'll really, well, over the next five years, we'll see what happens. I want to put this into perspective for you from a game called Fortnite. Yeah. So Fortnite's a video game that, like, it, it became, like, a number one game for two years. But, like, recently, like, their entry into the metaverse has been through music. And so what they do is they actually partner with like the top like music artists in the world and they provide they do live concerts inside of the inside of the game. Right. It's free to attend, especially during times of COVID. Like who doesn't want to see a live animated concert of one of their favorite music artists? Afterwards, they sell limited uh, merchandise like skins for the game itself in partnership, co-branded with that music artist. And think about it. That person now has an audience of millions of people to buy their merchandise mm. versus like, let's say, like a regular concert floor, 30 to 50,000 wow, seats yeah. at max. Like imagine the the, uh, the ability to monetize your fan base like so much better through the digital that's, world that's a, you know we earlier when you said merch i actually thought you meant digital merch physical t-shirts but now i realize that you mean like merch it, yeah i mean that you use even for <laughs> digital merch one yeah. of the features that my company does so we work with content creators and we sell a so we sell physical merchandise right and so what we do is if you buy the physical merchandise at a later date, like you actually get that same piece of apparel inside of a metaverse platform mm. once it's launched. So once we design it out. So, and so we use a portion of the profit that we make off the t-shirt sale to produce that digital asset. So I, I order a t-shirt. The t-shirt comes, I open the box. There's like a QR code or something. I scan that and now I own it in two places. Exactly. You got it. That's that's pretty cool. I like that actually because, it, you know, I like having it in the real world because, you know, I currently my most of my life <laughs> is in the real world. Still. So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and and Pat, Still, I have a, yeah. you know, just because the, the news coverage about this is really is everywhere. And, and there's a saying, and I want to get your reading, you know, well, your understanding on it. We talked a lot about how, you know, kind of the components of meta metaverse and how people are going to behave and what things they're actually going to do in metaverse. But is it is it is metaverse going to be more entertainment focused, including, you know, we talked about fan base management and, and, and video gaming, or is it going to be actually moving into more of the financial you know world that's actually going to affect how people look at their money? Um, yeah, so I think you can look at it from both ends. I think that metaverse from a consumer standpoint will always be entertainment first. I, I see just a a lot more applications of being able to use it for loyalty programs or for digital identity or even for like for live entertainment like that's the the use case of metaverse mm -hmm. in terms of like uh, so mm -hmm. like finance is, is actually the number one application like as of today for it but i would say like there are a lot mm -hmm. of complexities to it there's a lot of issues with the you you have a double-edged sword so when you look for full transparency through the ledger of transactions your 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 issue with that is that because it's not centralized 
you don't have like a like oh oh no i messed up button like it's like what happens Man. if i need help you, you there's no help when when you're peer-to-peer and so like i i think that finance like we'll see a middle ground like you're, there's going to be like the option to use digital finance but I, I think that most like most people will just want to use a bank like it's it's you don't make as much on your savings or you don't get to utilize the money that's like through those financial systems nearly as well wow, by yourself. But what you do get is security and you, you get you get to be safe. And, and mm. that's all that really matters to the majority of people around. the world. Well, I was wondering you, what kind of you, you mentioned that your one iteration of like your your what is it your game card behind what's going on? Well, if I if someone wants to get into like video gaming or using meta, can they just use their regular laptop that that they use for other purposes? Or do you need to get a system specifically for doing meta or for doing video yeah, games? Is I, it necessary? It's not necessary. Uh, technically, it's not necessary. But I would say if you want an immersive experience, something that you feel like you feel good about, I would definitely recommend a desktop computer. Uh, as of mm. today, it's the, it's probably the cheapest bang for your buck in terms of parts and all you're going to run it flawlessly. I've I use it through a laptop for me. And even for the problem for me is that like it can actually it's really damaging to your computer. Um, if you don't have the right specifications, mm. like my laptop is not very big and it gets really hot mm. from using VR. And so I actually try not to use it on my laptop. Anymore. So most typical desktops that are coming out that are like from today, like if I went out and bought a desktop that was like meant for someone to bring home today, like it would run most of the stuff. Um, Yeah, I would probably be looking for a gaming, like a, either a gaming or a like a video editing, like an editing computer. Mm. And then with, with headsets now, like the price point's getting lower and lower. Just during Christmas, they had a buy one, get one free for the Oculus. And so what? it came up to $150 retail per headset. Like it was really, it's at $150, it is affordable to buy a headset. And unfortunately, like, you do have to spend about fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars on the computer. Though. What's that new video game? We, I'm sorry, that new movie we were talking about last week, Alex, with the uh, with the gentleman who's like got glasses and he's in a video game and he's an AI character that comes to life. Free guy, free, free guy. guy. So when do we get those kind of glasses, Pat, <laughs> where we don't have to wear a whole headset? Ryan, was that the Ryan Reynolds movie? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually watched that one. That was good. Um, right. I so I, so we had the Snapchat glass, Snapchat glasses, and we had the Google Glass first. Like those, unfortunately, were a little bit mm. too early for them to be useful i could see like wearables through glasses or through something like that becoming popular over the next decade but i think that there's just there's just not enough functionality it doesn't it's not fluid enough to have adoption and it's just it's, it, all the technology needs to be cheaper mm-hmm. um right now it's just it's just price point so you need to wait for you we need to wait at least a half a decade before we see mainstream adoption for so it so i'll i need um, i need to wait five to six years and then i can get my really cool ryan reynolds glasses yeah i mean like you can do it through your phone now <laughs> right like you, you can see some of your digital assets through your phone you can play around on, on alibaba with it now like you, you'll see the the 1.0 of the metaverse right but really, to see that that free guy style of, of AR mm, universe, mm. you you got a couple okay, of years so, to wait still. Yeah, I'm excited about it because when I watched Ready Player One, I was like, I'm not putting on that suit. <laughs> like that's way too much for me. <laughs> Speaking of suit, though, um, uh, Pat, I'm sure you have those kind of haptic vests and stuff that go with your VR headsets. I don't. I actually use the most bare bones oh. system. Yeah, I, 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 we had a mocap suit for a little while, so that's a little bit more advanced, but that lets you do a full like capture of every single one of your major joints. But that's for game development, not so much mm. for playing the game. I so see. It looks like something like from uh, Avatar's development. That we- yeah, when you look at like the how people, yeah, when people do the back, the the the, the behind the scenes of like how they get those avatars to move around, <laughs> like that's a motion capture suit. Yeah. So you actually worn that, and you you created like you had. Yeah, we were doing an animation so cool. for one of our launch trailers for a product we're releasing in May of this upcoming. Is year. this because like you're just like in an elite group of people with this technology, or is this just becoming more accessible to everyone? Um. Yeah. I mean, the the tech. You to be hundreds of thousands of dollars and now you can get your your basic suits 
$10,000 nowadays and that requires a little bit of setup. But I, I would say for, for a company, that's, that's an affordable piece of technology. Alex, in the company that you cannot name, like, have you seen this kind of technology <laughs> being used by people? I don't, I don't think we have, I don't think we are developing wearable technologies. I, I also could be because I'm in a complete different business unit, but I haven't heard anything about wearable techs or, or things that would go along with the, you know, the VR headset that we're, we're going to work on. Um, but I do know, cause I, I am forced to watch a lot of these YouTube review videos with my boyfriend and we bought a Woodger, uh, uh, what do you call that? That, you know, that it's like basically wearing a subwoofer on your body that makes you feel the impact of the, the songs you're listening to the movies you're watching and the games you're playing. And he really, he really wanted that vest. I'm like, we're not getting that vest. I <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a, there's a new company in Japan that does tasteable TV. So like everything is, I've seen that yeah it's I, so I weird that would actually work Me, well, apparently you have to reload all of the flavor capsules like every month or so oh. and then you have to cl- constantly be cleaning the screen because of bacteria issues <laughs> so like <laughs> it's not like something you really want it's more just like one of those curiosities that you read about so. I, I actually had a 3d printed cookie the other uh like last like two months ago I, I had a 3d printed cookie it was an almond cookie that was printed out of a machine and tasted great yeah. wow I gotta say, Alex, I gotta say, Pat, you know, this has really been one of our more interesting conversations. Yeah. And I think that, you know, going back to what we said in the beginning of the show about the universal, you know, like brotherhood, sisterhood, humanity, bonding through a cultural experience, like through music again, but this time through video games and even through meta, you know, the, the environments which we find ourselves encapsulated in and these fantasy worlds in, you know, musical fantasy worlds or, you know, in literally the fantasy worlds of meta and video games are something that bring us together, you know? People from America, people from China, people from around the world, Yeah, they enjoy these worlds together and they become, literally become the same person together. So I, I know, I have been Link <laughs> from Zelda. I have been Link. I'm, my wife, she has been Link from Zelda. She grew up in Yantai Shandong. I grew up in the US. Um, I'm sure you've been Link, <laughs> Alex. I'm yeah. sure that Pat's been yeah. Link. Every, so we have these millions Tens of millions of people, maybe hundreds of millions of people around the world who've been Mario, who have been Link, and they shared the common experience of being these characters in this other universe together. And we, you know, we call our show The Bridge. This is about, you know, unifying people and showing the commonalities for our listeners at home, demonstrating to people, helping them actualize and realize how similar we all are. You know, in China, Tens of millions of people have been Mario and have been Link. And in in, mm. in America, I'm sure it's like a, at least a couple hundred million people have been Mario and have been Link. Exactly. We literally have been the same people together. That's what, you know, I'm hoping that meta brings us. And it's not like an arrow floating above me in my glasses that helps me find <laughs> a coffee shop that I've never been to in the new neighborhood. <laughs> Although that sounds great. You know what, really, it's, it's the connecting of our humanity together that I hope that all this technology literally, you know, makes a smaller world. Yeah. It makes our human socio-cultural world smaller so that we can all get along and that there's a future of shared peace together.
You know, there's so much we could talk about. We are out of time, guys. What a shame. I want to talk more about VR stuff. <laughs> I think we should I think we should have a part two. Do you think we could get you back on the show in the future, Pat? Yeah, of course. I love chatting with you guys. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Alex. Thank you so much, Pat. Lovely meeting you, Pat. And thank you, Jason. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Right, bye, y'all.